If you take your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 5 to 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Brad. Oh, what a good morning to be together, to worship. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, thank you that uh, we can be here today. Uh, And yes, thank you for the snow that uh, comes at this season of the year. And uh, we embrace it. We thank you for it. We thank you for your guidance and your blessing in our lives and for bringing us safely here today. And Lord, we believe that every time we come together, there's a divine appointment that you have something to say to us if we open our hearts and, and listen to your voice today. We're asking that for this morning, Lord, that as we open your word from 1 John chapter 1, that we will hear through the centuries the message that is relevant and applicable for our lives today. Thank you for this young man, Juan, and the blessing, God, that, that uh, he is to so many people. Thank you that he came to faith in Jesus Christ uh, through Operation Christmas Child. And thank you for the difference that we can all make by being part of that. So we ask God your blessing upon us this morning as we meet, as we pray, as we worship, and as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome back to uh, a great little letter that we have been studying these weeks. The letter of 1 John, and hope you have your Bible this morning. One of the best things that you can do to improve your quality of life uh, is to simply walk. Running is great, and running is helpful, uh, but if you can't run for some reason, uh, you may well be able to walk. There's a little device called the pedometer. Uh, There it is, which is a motivational device to get us up and get us walking. It counts each step a person takes by detecting the motion of the person's hips. For some, the goal is to get to 10,000 steps a day. Well, if you do that, you've got a pretty good workout. If you can't get to 10,000, even 5,000 is a great workout. Oh, by the way, how many are wearing a pedometer at this very minute? Anybody here have one on? There's one back there. How many own a pedometer and you wear it from time to time? Well, there's quite a few. I was thinking it would be a great Christmas gift, Mark. I don't have one of those yet. Uh, just a thought, just a public thought. But, uh, and I was reading about them this week, how they're getting fancier and fancier. Uh, you can get them in apps. You can get them now in Bluetooth app links. 
and uh, record over the months and over the years how you're doing. It's amazing. So sounds like a lot of fun and, and very motivating, which is exactly what I need. Unfortunately, it won't do the walking for you. Haven't found one of those yet. Still looking. We have to get up and get walking. But it might be motivating to do that. So we're in 1 John, uh, just getting ourselves launched here. This is the third message in this intriguing little book that really packs a wallop. My wife said to me, uh, I've been reading 1 John, and this guy doesn't mince any words. And it's true. Somehow John has been thought of as the softy of all the apostles. A tradition grew up somehow that John was a little more on the gentle side. You know, Peter is the boisterous guy. John is a little more mellow. I don't know where that ever came from. Not when you read the passage that we have before us today. He is very pointed. And he sees this stress in the churches that he is superintending. And as a grandpa... And I think today, as a papa bear, he is really committed to stopping the heresy that was tearing the churches apart. So let's start right in at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. I should say this about the letter of First uh, John that it's organized around three tests. It is a letter to help us ask ourselves the question, where are you at in your journey with God? And the way that John gets at that question is by posing three major questions. What do you believe? How do you live? And who do you love? We call it the doctrinal test. What do you believe? We call it the ethical test, how do you live? And we call it the relational test, how do you love? How do you love your brother? How do you love your sister? And John takes a very interesting approach. Instead of taking them one at a time or one after another, he says something about each other, about one of them, then he goes on to the next one, and then he goes on to the next one, and then he comes back to the first one again, and he comes back to the second one again, and he just, you just have this cycle of him commenting on these three different tests. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a dentist. You can, just, you can just see John, he's just drilling down a little deeper and a little deeper, and those dentists, you know, like when they change their bits, you know that they're going to go deeper. There. And that burr, that, that, that whine of the bit, you know, and it just, it just, it just sends a burr down the back of your back. I, I think they're getting quieter all the time, but I, I think maybe they're getting some better muffler systems on those, those bits. But that is the thing that, whoa, makes me so nervous when I go to a dentist. So maybe we should call him John the Dentist. He's drilling down to where we live. But I must say this in defense of dentists. A dentist wants to help you, not hurt you. They don't want to hurt you. And, and that is the heart of John as well. So although he will say some tough things today, remember in the end, he wants to be a blessing. He wants to bring unity. 
He wants to bring healing. John sees that these untruths have crept into the congregation. We talked about them last week. Gnosticism, which really was an attack on the incarnation. The denial that Jesus had a physical body. The denial that Jesus had a physical body. Rather, he was only spiritual and not physical. Because somehow, physical to them was evil. Material to them was evil. Matter was evil to them. So this is the heresy in the church that John is speaking against. So now in verse 5, John begins in the thundering language and the power of the Old Testament prophets. And he says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The sentence is written in traditional parallel poetic form. A statement is made and then it's repeated. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, that's the statement. And the reinforcement is, in him there is no darkness at all. John tells us what he means and then he tells us what he does not mean. A parallel statement. Every great positive truth has its negative implications. For example, if Jesus Christ is Lord, then I'm not Lord. If God is filled with light, then he is not filled with darkness. It's a powerful way to communicate what John wants to say. And what he especially wants to say is that God is truth. God is truth. The word light is used interchangeably for the word truth. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9, says, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He is the true light. He is the truth. Now, there are other meanings for light in the Scripture, but I think this is the heart of what John is saying here, that God is light, God is truth, in Him there is no darkness, there is no sin. But in Him there is purity and holiness and righteousness. And that's the essence of, what, of who God is. So if you go back to John's day, he is writing to a few congregations in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. And he is saying, this is the message we have heard from Him. From who? Or from the Word. From Jesus Christ. And declare to you, God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. So, we were there with Christ, John is saying. I was with Him. I knew Him. I heard what He had to say. I walked with Him for three years. And this is His message, that God is light, that God is truth, and in Him there is no darkness at all. There was a golf tournament in Miami, Florida in 2003. It was called the, the Ford Invitational. It was getting dark. The tournament was just about over, but it wasn't quite complete. But the fans, the spectators, especially on the 18th hole, they were wanting the, the, the golf game to finish. They wanted to witness who the winners would be because it was so close to being over. And Scott Koch a hoke, was right up there in the running. He refused to finish the game because he came to the last green and he had a nine-foot putt. And if he made it, 
It would be a birdie, and he would win the tournament. The darkness was such that there were shadows on the green. Hoke was unsure about the lay of the green. So the tournament's sudden death finish was delayed until the next morning, when many fans could not attend, so they were very frustrated that he would not putt on the Sunday night. Hoke sank his putt the next morning and then birdied a third playoff hole to win $900,000. Had Hoke tried to finish the tournament on Sunday, he probably would have lost. In the dwindling light, Hoke, who had had five eye operations, thought the putt would move to the left. His caddy read it that it would move to the right. The morning light proved the caddy to be correct. We see things differently when we walk with God. And we live in His light and in His truth. And undoubtedly we make different decisions all through our journey because we walk in the light. When we walk in darkness, we see things differently. We make choices that we often regret because we made them while we were walking in the darkness. We live in a way that brings pain and frustration and anxiety. So we're reminded of the metaphor of, of walking through the passage. Verse, eight, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness... Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The language of the roadway. We are walkers through life. And John's desire is that we walk in the light and not in the darkness. Obviously, John looks at the various congregations in Asia Minor and he sees all this negativity and he sees all this pain and disunity and people heading out the back door just left and right. And his heart is saddened that this is happening to the body of Christ. And so he speaks into it. And this is the context. He speaks into it. And he is very bold. He sees them walking in darkness the cause of the heresy, and they are walking away from God. And he underscores three outrageous claims, and then he makes two awesome promises. And we kind of have to hopscotch together to see how he frames this. But here they are. Three outrageous claims. First of all, the claim to have fellowship while walking in darkness. The claim to have fellowship while walking in darkness. Now listen to what John says. Verse 6, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. We have all the right words. We claim to have 
fellowship. You say, oh yeah, of course I believe. Absolutely I believe. There's no question that I believe in Him. I believe who Jesus is. And love that body of people that I'm a part of. I love them. Yes, He is Lord. But the walk is not there. The talk is there. But the walk is not there. So this is the person that ignores his or her own darkness. And John, and you can tell he's not a wimp, John says, we lie and do not live by the truth. Pretty straightforward. We have all the right words, but none of it matches up. We are liars and we don't practice the truth, John says, and it can't be much clearer than that. If we say we have fellowship and all the time spend night hours on a computer messing with pornographic sites, we're lying. If we say we are walking in the light, we have fellowship with Him, but on the side we're putting down our brothers and sisters, we're gossiping about them, we're cutting them into pieces, we're liars. It is saying one thing and doing another. Now, for the Gnostics in John's day, because they had this view of the unimportance of material things, they had their own little system. Since the body is unimportant and the physical is unimportant, I can live like I please. Because I'm just a spiritual being with God. But I can do what I want in my body because that doesn't count. Oh my, what a cop-out. I'm a spiritual being, so from day to day in my body, I'll just... Do as I please. And John speaks to that. And he says, if you claim to have fellowship with the family of God, and yet you are living in the darkness of sin, it just isn't happening. It just isn't true. It's a lie. So please hop with me now over to verse 8. The second outrageous claim to be is to be without sin. To be without sin. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I think part of the journey of being on the road with God is to gradually gain a more accurate perception of ourselves. Jesus not only wants us to show us who the Father is, but he wants to show us who we are and where we are. And our pathway is illuminated as we walk in the light and we see more clearly where we're headed, a more accurate perception of ourselves. What an outrageous claim, the claim to be without sin. John is speaking to the person who says, I don't have any sin. There's nothing in my life to be concerned about. I can't see actually that I've sinned at all. Nothing here to worry about. It's one thing to lie to yourself it is yet another thing to be self-deceived. And John says, we deceive ourselves. We're like a deer in the headlights. Me? Have sin? What are you thinking? Can't be me. John's church had fallen on erroneous beliefs. And they had this strange sense that they weren't living in sin. And they had redefined their need for forgiveness... Because they redefine their theology. You know, that's one way to do it. 
You simply change your theology to match your lifestyle. You change your beliefs. You change your values. I had a Christian prof years ago that fell into an immoral situation. And because he didn't deal with that, he suddenly changed his views on the core beliefs of the Christian faith, including the resurrection. He knew better, but he deceived himself. Or he manufactured a way to get around his sin. Dallas Willard, a wonderful writer, home in heaven now, just a few months ago, writes about two and a half, uh, a two and a half year old girl in her backyard who one day discovered the secret to making mud, which she called warm chocolate. Now, isn't that a good term, parents? Warm chocolate. Warm chocolate, a.k.a. mud. And her grandmother had been reading and was facing away from the action, but after cleaning up what appeared to be a mess, she told Larissa not to make any more chocolate. And she turned her chair around so that she could be facing her granddaughter. The little girl soon resumed her warm chocolate routine. And one request posed as sweetly and as charmingly as a little two-and-a-half-year-old can make it. Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Don't look at me, Nana, okay? And Nana, being a little codependent, of course, agreed. Larissa continued to manufacture warm chocolate. Three times, she said, as she continued her work, Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Don't look at me, Nana, okay? Don't look at me, Nana, okay? And then Willard writes, Thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong. The tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong. Oftentimes we choose to do wrong or withhold from doing right. We, we choose hiddenness as well. It may be that out of all the prayers that are ever spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one that we least acknowledge making is simply this. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me, God. It was the very first step prayer prayed after the fall. God came to walk in the garden to be with the man and the woman. He called, where are you? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Adam answered, so I hid. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me, God. The outrageous claim that I'm without sin. The third outrageous claim is just a hopscotch over to verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This appears to be a person who lives in perpetual perfection. If we claim we have not sinned, never, ever, never, ever sinned, never in my life, never sinned. Try not to laugh, okay? If we say, I've never sinned. And while choking down the laughter, we know in our hearts that we have. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 God says, I am a sinner by birth, a sinner by nature. The psalmist writes, Psalm 51, is it? For I was born a sinner, yet from the moment my mother conceived me. The sickness of sin has passed along to all of us from generation to generation. I mean, who needs convincing that sin exists in our world today? One read through the newspaper on any day of any week tells you that our world is far from God. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on Him the sins of us all. The third outrageous claim is simply an honesty issue. John says, if we come up with a claim like that, we're calling God a liar. At a very large crusade, a man came forward to talk to a counselor at the end of the service. He came to talk about his way of life. And the man said, I'm a Christian, but there's sin in my life, and I need help. I need to get back on the track again. And the counselor showed him the verse that uh, we'll actually look at um, a little bit today, but mostly next Sunday, 1 John 1.9, which uh, says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the gentleman said, that's what I need to hear in my life. I'm, I just need to hear that there's forgiveness and there's hope and I can have a new start. And so they agreed to pray. And the gentleman began to pray. He said, oh, Father, if we have done anything wrong, sir, sir, can I interrupt you? Just a minute. The counselor interrupted. Please don't drag me into this. If we, if we, and careful on the if, if, sir, please be honest with God. Confession is naming sin. It is agreeing with God on it. It is calling it for what it is so that God can do His mighty work in your heart. The story is told that by the time Howard Schultz had resigned from Starbucks in 2000, the coffee chain was experiencing tremendous growth. And then along came 2008, the year of the recession. Starbucks was reeling from a bad economy and stiff competition. Schultz resumed his role as Starbucks chief executive. He faced a challenging mission to lead a turnaround. In an interview with Schultz, he commented, before they could move forward, they had to deal with their past. They had to admit their mistakes. Here's an excerpt from that interview. He said, when I returned to, in January of 2008, things were actually worse than I thought. The decisions we made were very difficult, but first there had to be a time when we stood up in front of the entire company as leaders and made almost like a confession that the leadership had failed the 180,000 Starbucks people and their families. And he said, even though I wasn't the CEO, I should have known better. I'm responsible. We had to admit to ourselves and to the people of this company that we owned the mistakes that we made. Once we did it, it was a powerful turning point. It was like when you have a secret and get it out and the burden is off of your shoulders. The outrageous claims made by some in the time of John was that, oh, well, we're just fine. 
Thank you very much. And we don't need your guilt, please. We don't need your guilt. Back off. And John says, they're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Three outrageous claims. Now I want you to see the two awesome promises. And we're still hopscotching, so now back to verse 7. The promise of fellowship and cleansing. And here we are walking again. We're walking. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Oh, what a great verse. Can we read it again? Can we read it together? But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. I would have you imagine this morning a huge light shining down this aisleway. Huge light. That this is an amazing runway. Right from the platform all the way back to the fireplace. And this is the imaginary pathway of life, if you will. The roadway we, which we walk. And the light falls on this roadway. And the light is bright and illuminating. And if you stay on this illuminated pathway, you will find that you will have fellowship with your fellow travelers and that it is rich and awesome all through life. You have heart connection wherever you go. You have people that you pray with and support uh, you with and, and, and encourage you. And you are supporters of them and you pray for them and it's reciprocal. And you are that person that comes alongside of others on the pathway. It is a give and take all through your journey. It is awesome. It is a wonderful koinonia on this pathway which is illuminated. Heart connection. Communion. Fellowship with one another. And you realize as you walk this journey that you're not perfect. You are not perfect. You have flaws. You have imperfections. And the light reveals it. Oftentimes on the roadway, you blow it. You sin. You make mistakes. But because you're on the roadway, walking in the light, walking in the truth, you have fellowship with Christ. And all along this journey, you begin to experience the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing you from sin. And you see, the blood of Christ keeps on cleansing us every moment. The detergent, which is the blood of Christ, keeps on cleansing, keeps on cleaning you up, keeps on cleaning you up, keeps on helping you get back up on your feet again, keeps you going, keeps you oriented. At every turn in the road, you would go the wrong direction and be prone to get in the ditches. But the blood of Christ is always cleaning you up. The blood of Christ is cleansing the way you live. You're beginning to live differently. You're, the words coming out of your mouth are beginning to be different. The old words of vulgarity and cutting and innuendos and gossip and sexual inappropriateness, all those words are losing ground. They're losing steam. And transformation is coming because of the blood of Christ who is cleansing you. It is the best detergent ever. And there is a cleansing as you walk in the light and you become aware of it. I don't think and I don't act like I used to. I don't put down like I used to. I don't try to get a laugh at the expense of others like I used to. Your actions are being transformed by the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. 
There is a heightened sensitivity. There is a quick check when you have stepped over the line. You might have a thought to slip one over on someone else. In a deal. In a relationship. But you can't do that any longer. You don't want to do that any longer. The illuminated pathway is a place of cleansing. His blood cleanses us from all sins. It is an awesome promise. It is an awesome reality. To walk in the light does not mean that you and I are sinless and flawless. Rather, it means because we're in the light, we are fully aware that we are sinners. And that's the point. We're fully aware that we're sinners. And it is so incredible that we are not lost causes on the road. Oh, no. We're not beyond help at all. You see, at just the right time, the companion of, on our road, who is the source of our life, who is Jesus Christ Himself, now becomes the means of our help. And He resolves our guilt, and He resolves our shame, and He brings us into this relationship with God continually. So the answer to, to the human tragedy of life, the sinful of, sinfulness of humanity, of our world, is, is not a, a secret to be learned, like i got to dodge this bullet and i got to dodge this bullet. i got to deny that I'm a sinner. No, no. The joy is the man Christ Jesus on our pathway, on our illuminated pathway. And He is alongside of us at every turn in life. And my heart rejoices when I think of that, that He is alongside of us. Now the second promise is one more little jump over to verse 9. And I think we'll make that jump next week because it's such a precious verse and, and it deserves a focus. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What a promise. What a promise. Would you stand with me for prayer? I'm just going to pause for a moment this morning. I just feel I, I just need to pause here a little bit. Just going to ask you, what did you want me to hear today, Lord? What did you want me to hear? Would you ask him that question? What did you want me to hear today, Lord? Along with the tough word, I hope you also heard new beginnings, restart, forgiveness, and a call back, grace, obedience, a desire to walk in the light, and experience the precious companionship of Christ on the way. Lord, we were listening for your words to our hearts. We don't want to just hear the word and go away and not be doers of the word. We want to hear you this morning. We want to hear you. Lord, open my heart to hear you. 
Lord, as we ponder your word today, we want to say thank you for the courage of the Apostle John to write words like this. Hard words, tough words. Thank you for his faithfulness. And thank you that he loved his people. And that's why he shared those words. And thanks for your heart to love us and to share the hard things with us as well. So that you could call us back to yourself, back to your heart, because you love us. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us perspective, perspective of ourselves and perspective of our journey. And, Holy Spirit, may you continue to illuminate the pathway that's before us, that we might be faithful to walk in the light, even as you are in the light, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.